Welcome back, Hemming Brain Faces, to Hemming Brain's List Podface of Chapter 10, 16, Book 10 thing. What is your impression of Kutuzov? How might this meeting impact Andre? Acoustic Eels. Hey, I haven't seen that name for a while. It says, I love Kutuzov using a knife as a bookmark. The man's on another level. I'm hoping that Andre and everyone else's opinion of Kutuzov is correct. He seems to have a sharp intuition for military strategy, plus a good reputation and plenty of experience, but his parting words to Andre, when in doubt, do nothing. Said in French, no less, threw up red flags for me. I hope it makes he makes it work out. Brian E. Dental said, Brian E. Denton, another name, blast from the past, said, for real, for, <laughs> for real we need to start selling cooters off brand bookmark knives. Yeah, that's a cool idea. Um, dropping in, for time and patience, says Brian E. Denton as well. A few lines better in the whole book. Thanks for dropping in, Brian. Good to see you every now and then. Brian is, of course, the author of the Daily um, Medium articles and also an ebook version of those Medium articles compiled with War and Peace. Really good uh, little compilation there. Ripster66 says, Kutuzov oozes competence. Bra- uh, Brian? Um, I've got Brian on my brain now. Kutuzov oozes competence, but not only does he see the big picture and have a bunch of experience, he isn't going to be rushed into making hasty decisions. He also seems to do more listening than speaking, which seems a good sign. Andre is a pretty keen observer, and I think Kutuzov's calm competence might rub off on him. Having a man like Kutuzov value you and respect you gives you a bit more confidence in your own decisions as well. Kutuzov is probably a good influence on Andre. I put in a comment, by the way, saying, this is the second time Madame de Genelis has been mentioned in War and Peace. Can you remember the first time? Uh, Brett Peterson says, now that you mention it, I do remember the Rostov children taunting Vera by calling her Madame de Genelis. According to the footnote in Maud, her stories were about proper society, but very dull for young readers. I did think it was weird that Tolstoy mentioned the full name of the book twice in the chapter. Maybe he wanted to make sure we caught the reference. From memory, it was like, I think Madame de Genlis was like, her books were about, maybe about intrigues or like people who were too caught up in um, proper society or something like that. But it was, um, yeah, it was an insult to be called that. I don't fully understand why, but I did find it interesting that Kutuzov was reading one of those books later on in the in the novel. Keep reading time is now. Chapter 17. After the Emperor had left Moscow, life flowed on there in its usual course, and its course was so very usual that it was difficult to remember the recent days of patriotic elation and ardor. Hard to believe that Russia was really in danger, and that the members of the English club were also sons of the fatherland ready to sacrifice everything for it. The one thing that recalled the patriotic fervor everyone had displayed during the Emperor's stay was the call for contributions of men and money, a necessity that as soon as the promises had been made assumed a legal official form and became unavoidable. With the enemy's approach to Moscow, the Moscovites' view of their situation did not grow more serious, but on the contrary became more frivolous. As always happens with people who see a great 
danger approaching. At the approach of danger there are always two voices that speak with equal power in the human soul. One very reasonably tells a man to consider the nature of that danger and the means of escaping it. The other still more reasonably says that it is too depressing and painful to think of the danger. Since it is not in man's power to foresee everything and avert the general course of events, and it is therefore better to disregard what is painful till it comes and to think about what is pleasant. In solitude, a man generally listens to the voice first, sorry, to the first voice, but in society, to the second. So it was now with the inhabitants of Mos. So it was now with the inhabitants of Moscow. It was long since people had been as gay in Moscow as that year. Rostopchin's broad sheets, headed by woodcuts of a drink shop, a potman and a Moscow burgher called Kapushka Shigirin, who, having been a militiaman and having had rather too much at the pub, heard that Napoleon wished to come to Moscow, grew angry, abused the French in very bad language, came out of the drink shop and under the sign of the eagle began to address the assembled people, were read and discussed, together with the latest of Vasily. Lovovich Pushkin's Belts Rimes. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the corner of at the club, members gathered to read these broadsheets, and some liked the way Kapushka jeered at the French, saying they will swell up with Russian cabbage, burst with our buckwheat porridge, and choke themselves with cabbage soup. They are all dwarfs, and one peasant woman will toss three of them with a hay fork. Others did not like that tone and said it was stupid and vulgar. It was says that, said that Rostopchin had expelled all Frenchmen and even all foreigners from Moscow and that there had been some spies and agents of Napoleon among them, but this was told chiefly to introduce Rostopchin's witty remark on that occasion. The foreigners were deported to Nizhny by boat and Rostopchin had said to them in French, Rentrez en vous and Trez dans la barque et en face which means think it over, get into the bark and take care not to make it a bark of Sharon. I think that's probably some really clever French play on words, but I don't get it. There was talk of all the government officers having been already moved from Moscow, and to this Shinshin's witticism was added that, for that alone, Moscow ought to be grateful to Napoleon. It was said that, that Mamanov's regiment would cost him 800,000 rubles and that Bezukhov had spent even more on his, but that the best thing about the Bezukhov action was that he himself was going to don a uniform and ride at the head of his regiment without charging anything for the show. You don't spare anyone, said Julie Drubetsky as she collected and pressed together a bunch of raveled lint with her thin, beringed fingers. Julie was preparing to leave Moscow next day and was giving a farewell soiree. Bezakov is ridicule, but he is so kind and good-natured. What pleasure is there to be so caustic? A forfeit, cried a young man in militia uniform, whom Julie called Montchevalier, and who was going with her to Nizhny. In Julie's set, as in many other circles in Moscow, it had been agreed that they would speak nothing but Russian, and that those who made a slip and spoke French should pay fines to the Committee of Voluntary Contributions. Another forfeit for a Gaelicism, said a Russian writer who was present. What pleasure is there to be is not Russian. You spare no one, continued Julie to the young man without heeding the author's remark. 
For caustic I am guilty and will pay, and I am prepared to pay again for the pleasure of telling you the truth. For gallicisms I won't be responsible, she remarked, turning to the author. I have neither the money nor the time, like Prince Galitsin, to engage a master to teach me Russian. Ah, here he is, she added. Quand on no no, she said to the militia officer. You won't catch me. Speak of the sun and you see its rays. And she smiled amiably at Pierre. We were just talking of you, she said, with a facility in lying natural to a society woman. We were saying that your regiment will be sure to be better than Mamanov's. I don't talk to me of my regiment, replied Pierre, kissing his hostess's hand and taking a seat beside her. I am so sick of it. You will, of course, command it yourself, said Julie, directing a sly, sarcastic glance toward the militia officer. The latter, in Pierre's presence, had ceased to be caustic, and his face expressed perplexity as to what Julie's smile might mean. In spite of his absent-mindedness and good nature, Pierre's personality immediately checked any attempt to ridicule him to his face. No, said Pierre, with a laughing glance at his big, stout body. I should make too good a target for the French. Besides, I am afraid I should hardly be able to climb onto a horse. Among those whom Julie's guests happened to choose to gossip about were the Rostovs. I hear that their affairs are in a very bad way, said Julie. And he is so unreasonable, the Count himself, I mean. The Razumovskys wanted to buy his house and his estate near Moscow, but it drags on and on. He asks too much. No, I think the sale will come off in a few days, said someone, though it is madness to buy anything in Moscow now. Why? asked Julie. You don't think Moscow is in danger? Then why are you leaving? I? What a question. I'm going because, well, because everyone is going, and besides, I'm not Joan of Arc or an, or an Amazon. Well, of course, of course. Let me have some more strips of linen. Linen. <clears throat> if he manages his, the business properly, he will be able to pay off all his debts, said the militia officer, speaking of Rostov. A kindly old man, but not up to much. And why do they stay so long in Moscow? They meant to leave for the country long ago. Natalie is quite well again now, isn't she? Julie asked Pierre with a knowing smile. They are waiting for their younger son, Pierre replied. He joined Oblensky's Cossacks and went to Belaya Tsurkov, where the regiment is being formed. But now they have had him transferred to my regiment and are expecting him every day. The Count wanted to leave long ago, but the Countess won't, on any account, leave Moscow till her son returns. I met them the day before yesterday at the Arkhurovs. Natalie has, Natalie has recovered her looks and is brighter. She sang a song. How easily some people get over everything. Get over what? inquired Pierre, looking displeased. Julie smiled. You know, Count, such nights as you are only found in Madame de Suva's novels. What nights? What do you mean? demanded Pierre, blushing. Oh, come on, my dear Count. C'est la fable de tout Moscou. Je veux mire la parole It is the talk of Moscow. My word, I admire you. Forfeit, forfeit, cried the militia officer. All right, one can't talk. How tiresome. What is the talk of Moscow? Pierre asked, angrily rising to his feet. Come now, Count, you know. I don't know anything about it, said Pierre. I know you were friendly with Natalie, and so... But I was always more friendly with Vera. That dear Vera. No, madam, Pierre continued in a tone of displeasure. I have not taken on myself the role of Natalie Rostova's knight at all. I have not been to their house for nearly a month, but I cannot understand the cruelty. Que excuse accuse, said Julie. 
who excuses himself, accuses himself. Smiling and waving the lint triumphantly, and to have the last word, she promptly changed the subject. Do you know what I heard today? Poor Mary Ball Konskaya arrived in Moscow yesterday. Do you know that she has lost her father? Really? Where is she? I should like very much to see her, said Pierre. I spent the evening with her yesterday. She's going to their estate near Moscow either today or tomorrow morning with her nephew. Well, and how is she? asked Pierre. She's well, but sad. But do you know who rescued her? It is quite a romance. Nicholas Rostov. She was surrounded, but they wanted to kill her and had wounded some of her people. He rushed in and saved her. Another romance, said the militia officer. Really, this general flight has been arranged to get all the old maids married off. Katisha's one and Princess Balkanskaya is another. Do you know, I really believe she is un petit peu amour de jeune homme, a little bit in love with the young man. Forfeit, forfeit, forfeit. But how could one say that in Russian? Alright, there's the chapter for you. Old gossipy gossip bags, Drubatskaya, gossiping her little face off. It's funny how Moscow is just still just a gossip place. They're not even barely acknowledging the danger that surrounds them. All right. Thank you for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.